This episode of Tester's Island Discs is sponsored by TestRail, a modern web-based test management tool which allows you to manage all of your testing efforts in a centralized location. To learn more about TestRail and to find out how you can sign up for a free trial, visit www.testrail.com or see the details in the show description. Welcome to Tester's Island Discs, your most musical guide to the world of software testing. My name's Neil Studd, and I'll be your castaway companion. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Tester's Island Discs. This is our first episode of 2018. Happy New Year to all of you. Today I'm talking to Jem Hill, who's currently a test engineer for BBC Taster, the BBC's home of new ideas, experimenting in alternate ways of delivering information such as VR. At the end of last year, Jem gave her first conference talk at Test Bash Manchester called Anxiety Under Test, which is currently available on the Ministry of Testing Dojo free of charge if you have a club membership. And Jem is a regular podcaster herself. Let's talk about Tests Baby. Her testing podcast is fast approaching its 100th episode. And Jem is currently working on the second season of her mental health awareness podcast, In a Pod. It feels like I say this a lot, but welcome to the podcast, Jem. Hello. It's lovely to be here. <laughs> yes. By my reckoning, this is the fourth different podcast that we've appeared together on. We're clearly both uh, addicted to the stuff. We really are. Fifth, if you count the one that we recorded at Test Bash Manchester, which may or may not be out by the time this comes out. Yes, yeah, that was we got together the super testing bros, and there was just a a um, a pod of pods. I think we called it. Just everyone piled in. Uh, that was re- that was really good fun. Yeah, and I mentioned that you've recently started working at the BBC. That's a really interesting part of the company to work for, where they're doing these experiments. It's it's not quite the the stilted public service corporation you think of. What are your favourite things you've worked on so far, out of all the the weird and wonderful things you've done? Yeah, that's it's it's really exciting place to work. There's a lot of stuff coming through there's so some of the stuff on the bbc taster website a lot of them i've not worked on because i've not been there very long but there's some really good stuff to do with like i said with vr the way it works on bbc taster is things get put on there and you can rate them and give us feedback on them for three months and then they kind of drop off the home page you can't rate them anymore but you can still play with them so a lot of the ones that i'm going to say you won't be able to see them on the home page but you can still find them if you view all of the experiments that we do and you will still be able to play with them uh, one that I've mentioned in one of my own podcasts is Tell Me Your Secrets, which is an interactive uh, World War II thing. Like it's based on a graphic novel and you have to choose which piece of secret um, research you're going to take to America to get us to help fight the Germans in World War II. And then you get to see how that plays out. And mine went horrifically badly. It involved like Germany being nuked by the Americans. <laughs> well, I, I remember you saying that that had happened because, yeah, you mentioned it on episode 86 of your podcast. And so I went into it and had a go at it, staying very carefully clear of all the nukes, trying to avoid nuking. And in doing so, I ended up with uh, Britain being invaded by Germany and having to be liberated by the Americans in 1944. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like it's one of these things where if I if I replayed it and replayed it, maybe it's possible to get the perfect answer or maybe it's like there's there's no good answer. It's like there's lessons to be learned any route you go down. Yeah. And it turns out military strategy is really hard. <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not as simple as pointing and clicking. Yeah. Uh, so the, and another one that is really the baby of research and development, at least in the section that I'm working in, is something called object-based media, which is the idea of that we send the uh, audio and visual parts of media through over the internet separately, and then you can play around with that. So there's an experiment called Mermaid's Tears, which I will give a content note because it involves, it concerns the death of a child. But you can choose which characters you want to follow through the narrative. And so it reacts to which people you want to you want to follow. 
And so we're doing a lot of work in in how people can individually customize their experience and what they consume and how we can put that through both online things, but also like TV as well, when we start sending TV over the internet through digital and things like that. And so that's really the the baby of of R&D in the BBC at the moment. It sounds very exciting and I'm sure it comes with some challenges of jumping between project to project where you're going from one thing to a completely different thing, which we'll talk about as we go on through this episode. Before we do that, let's get down to why we're here. So Jem, like everyone who's come before, has been cast away on a desert island and has been allowed to salvage five of her favourite songs to take there with her. What was the first song you picked, Jem? I picked a Duality by Slipknot, which is a very sort of kind of loud, shouty rock, which is, I kind of love it. I've loved that since an angsty teenager um, and I quite like the high energy stuff and the video for this is very good as well because it was filmed at uh, a fan of the band's house the house was due for renovation so they did a performance in the house and like the house just gets absolutely trashed by everyone (laughs) like loads of fans like storm the house and just trash it because it was due for reno anyway so why not So that was Slipknot with Duality. And Jim, you've recently moved into the BBC, having previously been doing agency work. Now you found yourself working in a more permanent product team. Has that come as much of a culture shock to you? Have there been any major things you've had to adjust to? Yeah, it's surprising how much of a mindset change I've had to make because I have a lot more time now, which is really weird. So obviously in agency, there is a deadline to a project and the deadline is often immovable and there's often not enough budget necessarily to stretch that deadline, especially because we did a lot of work with charities as well. So the budgets were quite tight. And so I was very used to not having time on a day-to-day basis and also just not having time long-term. So in the BBC, there's a culture of you can just experiment for things for like a month. And if that doesn't work, that's, that's fine. Whereas I'm really not used to having that ability because we might not see the site again after six months and it has to go live in six months time and so that concept of time in multiple ways is one that I've it's really taken me this long to realize how it how much it affects my work and how I've had to actively work around that yeah deadlines can be a bit of a poison chalice if something has to go live by date x that's an experience I've had when I I used to work for compare the market we had a load of you know tv campaigns where we'd be launching a new advert on a particular date so the site had to be ready for that advert because you can't push the advert back that's happening um Mm -hmm. Obviously, that does give you something to to attach yourself to. Like there is there is a fixed point at which you're going to have to release, and that allows you to have conversations about quality more easily. You know, what do we need to achieve that we can achieve within this time? When you don't have time as a deadline, or, or when it's not such a fixed point, is it harder to work out where you draw the line and say this is good enough? In a way, yeah, that's something that I've I have issues with. Kind of that thing of have I tested this enough? Is this good enough? And so I work quite closely with the product owner. We sit down and have reviews every week and I do demos of the functionality that we've done. And so I get his input on what the priorities are. And I'll just say to him, this is what I feel about this piece of work, essentially. This is the bits I've tested. This is what I've not tested if there's bits I haven't tested for whatever reason, but I don't really have any time issues. So it's rare that there's something that I've not specifically tested. But normally, yeah, I work really closely with him to get his feedback so I can learn kind of where the lines are. I mean, especially working for the BBC, quality is 
it's baked into the culture there. We are using taxpayers' money, so everything has to be value for money and high quality because that's what people expect and that's morally what we should be doing. So it's weird. But yeah, it's been really good having a product owner who's willing to sit with me and answer all my questions and ask me questions in return about my processes and stuff. Mm. I was going to say, presumably going to the BBC, that's a culture that is already entrenched in qualities throughout the entirety of the business so you don't have you haven't had too many of those battles of, of explaining to developers that, that quality is part of their remit as well no not at all the developers that i work with are very good we have unit tests and they're very good and our automated testing suite is a bit of a mess no one's going to deny that but they were very sort of they're very keen to help me in any way possible to get it working they're just like do whatever if you need to rip it apart we will help you do that because we just want something useful out of this so there's a lot of, they're willing to give me all their time to get a quality product out the door. So it is quite nice. It's very rare I have to fight for time or resource or anything like that. Speaking of picking your battles, when you do find yourself moving between teams, either in an agency project where you're moving on to a completely different project, or if you're moving to a different team within the same organization, obviously there's quite a lot to do in terms of getting up to speed on that project, learning the, the background of that project, learning how that team likes to work, the tools they use. What are some of the things that you like to do when you join a new team, either sort of day one or week one to help get up to speed as quickly as possible? I go to every single meeting that I can. If someone <laughs> mentions a meeting in like a stand-up, I'll be like, could, could I go to that? Should I be in that? Even if it's not immediately relevant, it's still nice to get a feel of the culture that way, I find. So my first week is more meetings than anything else, or I try to make it that that's the case because I find those actually really useful. And even if the meetings aren't useful, like even if it's the worst meeting, like they hit all the stereotypes of a bad meeting, there's no agenda, it, people waffle on for 20 minutes, it goes an hour over schedule, all that stuff, that still gives you an insight into how people work. Mm. And so I find that quite useful. And I try to get over my asking questions. Like sometimes when you get when you start a new job, you don't want to ask questions that you feel might be really obvious because then you might look stupid. Mm. And so I try to nip that in the bud for the first like two weeks because that is the time where you can freely ask all the stupid questions because you know nothing about the culture right so it's so much easier to ask those stupid questions in the first week and so I ask questions freely and get all that over and done with as early as possible it's like that phrase goes the only stupid question is the one that wasn't asked because yeah it may seem like there might be an obvious answer but it could be something that your team hasn't considered particularly if you're coming in with a fresh perspective and everyone else in the team has kind of been blinkered to that yeah asking questions getting involved it's always a really useful way to ingratiate yourself within a team mm-hmm. and we'll talk a bit more about that in our next section after we hear about your second song choice Yes, so this is Papercut by Linkin Park. So this album was the first album that I bought with money that I'd earned myself. So it has a special place in my young gothy heart. <laughs> and I am still not over the death of Chester, I'm not going to lie. Like, that really hit me quite hard. And so this song is, yeah, it has a, it holds a lot of meaning for me, just because it's been with me for going through all of my own mental health issues. And then obviously Chester, yeah, it has a lot of meaning for me. It's 
that was Linkin Park with Paper Cuts. And before that, we were talking about moving into a new team and how you find your feet. Obviously, when you join a new team, you want to try and look your best, show that the team was correct to take a chance on you. But how do you balance wanting to make a mark within that team versus not wanting to be the one who's seen rocking the boat? This is really hard. I still find sometimes that I go too much one way or the other. Normally, I go too much rocking the boat because I'm quite a loud person anyway. But I do find this really hard. So I try to pick my battles. If you see issues, I won't try necessarily to raise them immediately. So like at the end of like, say, the first week and a couple of weeks or whatever, you can then look at the things you've noticed. I mean, obviously, if it's something that's going to go live and square everything up, then you say immediately. But stuff, if it's like process issues or whatever, you can like take stock of everything and go, right, what do I feel are the things that would actually be worth fixing first, whether that's ease of, or not fixing, but discussing maybe. Or if we do decide to change, what would be the easiest thing to fix? So is that some of that actually be really easy or that would give us the greatest like worth out of it. And so there's some stuff that I've kind of noticed that I still haven't actually raised in, in a thing because I've been raising other things. I've been talking about the automated testing. I've talked about other process things. And so for me, it's a case of you don't have to do everything all at once. When you come in as a new tester, you'll probably see like loads of weirdness in the process because that's just the nature of seeing a process with fresh eyes. And yeah, there'll probably be reasons for the majority of it that probably will make sense. But I think picking your battles is the easiest way of doing it. Yeah. And the more you take the time to survey the scene, you might see that there are little there are little pockets of issues that cluster together. So like these these, these three or four tiny little things that you don't want to berate the team about actually come under one thing about, yeah, how, how do we deal with our CI process, for example? One of the yeah. really good books that I read on the subject, there's a book by Michael D. Watkins called The First 90 Days, and it's particularly for managers or team leads who are going into an organization explaining that, yeah, in order to ingratiate yourself with that team, you don't want to be seen to be coming in and changing everything that the team's done because there are, like you say, there are historical reasons why this has been done the way it was. These things have generally been done in good faith. And if you take those first 90 days to almost uh, almost like be almost like archaeological and historical about it, you know, work out. You know, where's the team come from? What, why have these, has these have these things happened? What does it actually matter to the team? What do the team hope that you're going to change? If, if, if the team think you're working pretty well, then maybe actually the best thing for that team is to keep working the way you have been doing and um, and to just add add more little pieces as you go. Yeah, exactly. One of the big things that I find is there's really a, a moment for me when I join a team where it kind of clicks for the team and that I click within the team. And generally that's around the first time you really demonstrate an amount of credibility and and bring some benefit to the team. So maybe it's that for the first time you catch that big production bug. Have you had any experiences with with that before? Yeah, absolutely. Like finding a bug is a good one. A big production bug is one, or even just stuff that tends to fall down the wayside. So when I started, they'd not had a tester for like two months, I think, while they're waiting for my notice period to run out. So they've been testing all their own work. So I came in and kind of picked up little bits and pieces that they weren't big things, but they're bits that they'd missed that not even thought of like little accessibility things or usability things like there was one thing where a button did two different things depending on where you were but it was the same button from from a user's point of view and then I was like I understand why this does this but do you think we should make this bit more obvious that it does different things and so I think stuff like that and also so this is actually a question asked on the club where there wasn't a huge amount for me to test at one point but I still wanted to try and prove some value because um, mm. the first week I started, half the team were at the Fringe Festival, so there wasn't a huge amount for me to do. And I found doing stuff like feature tours of the product and just bringing in ideas of how I can test a thing or tools that people could use or whatever. Also, like 
gain that credibility without necessarily having anything in front of me to test. And you had a really good episode of Let's Talk About Test Baby at the end of last year titled New Job Weirdness that was kind of your retro on uh, joining the BBC. Yes, that was a good one because joining a job, getting a new job is weird. There are so many weird things that you have to try and figure out from like the culture, especially like at the BBC, it's all hot desking, which I've never done before. And that was surprisingly hard for me to get used to. Like I get into work fairly early. So most of the time I've got the same desk, but I can't keep anything on the desk because I might not have it tomorrow. And so even little weird changes like that can be quite odd to get used to. Yeah, I have something very similar at the moment because my current job is full-time remote working. So 90% of the time I'm in control of my own workspace, but sometimes I will randomly go and work from somewhere else. And while that can be liberating, it's also, yeah, you like to have those things just in, just at your fingertips reach that you're used to. It's funny how an environment can shape the way you work sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that brings us on to your third song choice. Yes, this is Paper Thin by She Makes War. So... I love She Makes War a few years ago, I want to say three. Ben and Jerry's did their one and only music festival in Manchester. They did it in London a couple of years and they brought it up to Manchester. And we met her there. And then I ended up randomly hanging out with her when she came up to Manchester for an International Women's Day event. So I'm, it's a weird thing where I'm a massive fan of her her music, but we also kind of chat as as people who know each other. And actually last year, she very kindly allowed me to use one of her songs as the soundtrack to Inner Pod. Slow Puncture. Slow Puncture, yes, which is another one of, of my favourites. And so I just, I love all her work and I love being able to fund an independent artist. And she's so giving with all her stuff. Like I've not paid her any royalties yet for Slow Puncture, but I always said that when Inner Pod starts or when my podcast start paying more than the basics, I will give her royalties for that because she's just went, yeah, fine, whatever. So I just love everything about her. And she has two adorable schnauzers. So I stalk her Instagram a lot. That was Paper Thin by She Makes War. And one of the things, Gem, that you said you wanted to talk about today on the podcast was about how you find testing allies. So what's your definition of what a testing ally is? So my very vague, broad definition is anyone who supports testing as a concept. So anyone who will grab me to go into meetings or forward or cough me into emails, that kind of stuff that gets me information that they think might be useful. So I found that product owner and my line manager have both been really good at this job in just like oh there's this meeting um it might be useful might be interesting for you do you want to come in and even though it's not directly related to what I was working on it was quite nice to to be involved and also anyone who can get me information who I wouldn't normally be in contact with so I'm a big fan of talking to support staff like tech support or whatever and the marketing team because that's a use case that a lot of time isn't involved in planning or isn't thought about when we're planning stuff. So those kind of things where I can get little pockets of new information that I might not get 
and who are happy to talk to me, which is really vague, but... <laughs> well, it's generally relatively easy in more agile organizations where it's expected that people will work cross competencies and people are expected to be open to being reached out to by members of the team. But still, sometimes it must be hard to work out who it is that you go to. How, how do you identify someone as a potential ally? Yeah, I'm a big fan of talking to people. So I am a massive tea drinker. So I will go to the kitchen quite a few times a day and whoever's in the kitchen gets spoken to at least a hello unless they're obviously they're in a conversation but everyone gets at least a hello and then I try and like find out who they are not in a creepy kind of way just in a general I, I I'm new here I've no idea who anyone is tell me about the things that you do and so I try and kind of sneak it in that way and a lot of the time the people in your team know people so if you go to a team member and go I'm after information about x someone will be able to point you in the direction Again, it goes back to just asking questions very freely and openly. And sometimes I preface a question with, this is a really stupid question. And that's not because I think the question is necessarily stupid. But I think because I'm kind of priming the people I'm talking to that this is going to be a question that's not going to take any of your time or it's not going to be like an in-depth question. It is hopefully a very simple one-word answer, possibly very obvious answer. Mm. And so I'm kind of priming that mood. And that kind of helps a lot, I think, because I'm aware that I might be taking people's time away from more important things yeah i have a colleague who is who has a almost a catchphrase where he'll say can i just borrow you for 30 seconds but he says that sometimes without realizing he's about to launch into a 30 minute conversation <laughs> it's like a, it, you have to say do you mean 30 seconds because i could spare you 30 seconds but something longer might have to wait yeah exactly it's it's very much about if you're going to ask people for information sometimes you need to preface that and figure out if that if that is the right time to do it because otherwise you might just be interrupting something really important for asking something really stupid or obvious so another good way i think to find allies is particularly if you're a a lone tester with embedded within a single team and your organization is made up of lots of these teams is having some kind of test team meeting or some kind of of scrum of scrums with the testers to understand what the challenges are facing other testers in your organization who you won't normally speak to on a day-to-day basis within the bbc is that is that something you've had exposure to yet yes so we have a testing craftsmanship community of practice thing that meets on a regular basis and we are getting an enterprise slack that we're just migrating everyone to and so my plan is to get across team testing like channel so that other testers can actually talk to each other across departments and cross teams because i find that invaluable and i remember shadowing a department with several teams and i ended up making connections for those teams in between them because i'd gone between three of the teams and i took that knowledge of the other teams with me to the ones i was like you know the person who's working just on the other side of the building has a tool that would do that and and that was when i was like we need to try and facilitate a lot more communication between testers so that is one of my outside of my team plans for 2018 is to try and get some cross-department communication going yeah i think that's one of the things i enjoy most about my current role is kind of there's a lot of troubleshooting and problem solving but often for other people so it's it's overhearing snippets of conversation where you know the answers to that problem because you dealt with it yourself a while ago being that kind of font of all knowledge can be quite rewarding sometimes Mm -hmm, absolutely we've got two songs left for you to tell us about what's your fourth song choice So my fourth song is a song called Valentine by The Delays. And so this is just a great dancey song. And the lead singer is a man and he has a fantastic range. Like he goes from fairly low to an amazing falsetto. And it's just this 
incredible like vocal range in this weird electro dancey song and the video is very kaleidoscopic 90s video it's incredible yeah they're a band that i know very well i went to university in southampton where they're from and during the time i was at university there were two huge southampton acts one of them was craig david (laughs) who was everywhere but also there was the delays who were the kind of genial um, local band who were, would play all these clubs and they, they were really good uh, it's worth saying that that the lead singer greg gilbert has been suffering um with quite advanced bowel cancer of, of late oh, really? uh, his fiance has actually set up a uh, gofundme page where they've raised uh, just over two hundred thousand pounds for him so far yeah they're, they're a band that are very close to me as well So that was The Delays with Valentine. Now, Jen, for people who aren't familiar with your non-testing podcast, In A Pod, that's a podcast that is very close to my heart. I've appeared on it previously. Can you explain to people who haven't heard of it what it is and why it matters to you? Sure. So In A Pod is a podcast about mental health, and it's just a space where people can come and talk about mental health, their struggles or their successes or just their experiences. I was involved with an initiative called Geek Mental Health Week, which is a week in October that encourages people specifically in tech, but it can be wider to talk about mental health and get support and encouragement and that kind of stuff. And there's always such a massive response to that week that I kind of wanted to give people that kind of space all year round instead of just being focused in one week. And obviously I'm a podcaster, so a podcast seemed the obvious one and I've always loved storytelling podcasts so I wanted to kind of get people on and tell their stories and my aim is to try and get stories you might not hear so there's a lot of people who talk about like anxiety and depression and burnout but there's less people who talk about being bipolar or trans those kind of the more hardcore personality or mental health issues and so I kind of want to get a more and just diverse I don't want it to be just you know white cisgendered people I wanted to be a bit more diverse in that way as well and just try and get stories out there and I want it to be a a safe space so people can come on anonymously if they want to or they don't even have to be on they can just write something and I can record it for them if they want in my voice if they want to be truly anonymous and so yeah Yeah. I just really want to make a safe space that is a podcast. I think you may have answered my next question actually because I was about to say that in our last episode with Lisa Crispin we talked about this a bit and particularly about how at conferences when people like yourself are giving talks on the big stage about your own experiences with these issues it's encouraging others to come out and speak particularly around like the the subsequent 99 second talks at those same events are often people say i was drawn to what jem said earlier and this is my own experience the 99 second talks at Testpatch philadelphia was an incredible um there were, there were several really powerful ones that people gave where they were saying things that happened to them in their childhood and, and earlier in their lives that they'd never felt comfortable talking to people about before and they'd realized that because the conference was welcoming to hearing those topics that this was a safe space for them and there was yeah that was very moving 
but what I was going to ask was if people don't want to stand up on a stage and talk to a room full of potential strangers about these things, if they have issues that concern them, what advice can you give them on, on how to, to begin to share those? Yeah, I mean, obviously, if people wanted to come on in a pod or write for in a pod or something like that, then you can be as anonymous as you want. I will give people full control of the episode. So if they decide afterwards they don't want the episode to go out and they just want to have the recording stay just between me and them, then that's totally fine. Your comfort is the most important thing. So only like obviously talking about this stuff is a little bit stepping outside your comfort zone and that's fine, but you have to balance that. So if you are in the testing sphere on the testers IO Slack, there is a mental health channel that is a safe space that was set up with Heather after my talk at Manchester. And so there's a space there where you can talk. There's a mental health Slack that I'm an admin of, like a whole Slack dedicated to mental health that I can give you a link to to put in the show notes that people can join and talk there and so it's a case of talking as much as you want to and then you don't have to do any more you don't have to stand up on a stage or write a massive blog post or whatever you can do as much as little as you feel comfortable with and then you can do more when you get good feedback because you will get good supportive feedback because this community is ridiculously supportive yeah yeah i would say number one thing is reach out but you yeah to do so in as small steps as you feel comfortable with don't feel like you need to go hey, Jem, here's all my problems. You could say, hey, Jem, if I'm with someone who is experiencing X, Y, Z, where might I go for some some help? Don't feel like you have to burden, uh, unburden your entire life on somebody in one go if, if that's uh, too too big a step for you. But but there are people out there who will, yes. will help you out. And actually, if it makes people feel even more comfortable, in the next few days of, of this going out, I will be doing a mental health first aid course. So I will be vaguely qualified to talk about this stuff. And the second season of Innerpod is launching later this year. Can you give us any teasers for it? I'm trying to think, actually, because I've got a few good ones. I've got someone talking to me who's not really spoken about their mental health issues publicly before, which when they came to me and said, I feel ready to talk about it and I want to talk about it on Innerpod, just absolutely blew me away that people feel comfortable with this being their first exposure. <laughs> Yeah, and again, just 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 coming and saying they want to do it is is wow. That's that's step number one. Yeah, exactly. Fantastic. Just just that, and even if you say, I've had people who say I want to come and be on the show, and then gone. Actually, I've tried writing this, and this is really hard. And that's fine. Like obviously, it's not fine that it's hard, but coming and talking to me is not like you're not signing a contract or anything. You can come to me and decide. Actually, you can't even start writing it yet, and that's totally fine. Fantastic. I'll put all the links for Innerpod in the show notes so people can get in touch with you or even just subscribe to the podcast again if they want to hear what it is that happens on Innerpod because I, I found it immensely rewarding. Mm-hmm. So you've got one more song choice to share with us today. My final song is Freaks and Geeks by Childish Gambino, which is Donald Glover's alter ego. So Donald Glover was Troy in Community. He appeared in Spider-Man Homecoming and he's like, is it comedian and he's he wrote atlanta which was a tv show that's won like loads of awards and so i kind of loved community when it was on and then i realized that he has a stage alter ego and his songs are a weird mix of ridiculous puns and fairly heavy rap and it's a combination that i adore and i'm not sure which bit of this song you're going to put in because none of it's suitable for work um <laughs> i was there cho- oh, i did choose it and went oh, i feel really bad choosing this song just because it's all you're not, you're not the first you're not the first <laughs> uh, but i love it every pun makes me giggle and half of them shouldn't even but i'm just there going no this song's brilliant 
Now there's poetry in motion, yeah, Gambino make it work I'm the boss, move something, yeah, this cool really suits me Swag too, but and yeah, these girls be acting crazy when they're dancing Black Swan I'm at the club, put your clothes back on Yeah, this beat is a disaster, 9-11, this track Rappers wanna battle me, I have to mail their heads back In my click, make that De Niro, so it's time to meet the Time to meet them running this, this, you are just a dog walker Leaving with your girl when we last seen each other Yeah, you messing with the baddest like we tag team Rihanna Fly girl on her knees, she don't wanna come near me Yeah, my dick is too big, there's a big bang theory Got a picture in my iPhone, what do y'all think? Why y'all dudes gon' masturbate, I'm in that Ariel pink If I am just a rapper, man, you could've fooled me I'm the shop, when these dudes talk, they talkin' fool me That was Childish Gambino with Freaks and Geeks rounding out Jim Hill's selection of five songs for the Testers Desert Island. And the one last thing that we allow you to take to the island with you is a book choice. Have you picked a book to take with you? I've followed in the footsteps of other people picking trilogies and picked the Southern Reach trilogy, which is weird sci-fi. And the first book, Annihilation, is being made into a film, which is out next month, which I'm very excited about. And so, yeah, it's very weird sci-fi and so I highly recommend it and yeah I've listened to audiobooks I've listened to them but I've listened to them loads and I'm not tired of them yet awesome I have some spare audible credits I may well go looking for those myself it's worth mentioning as well that we have a Spotify playlist for the show that has all the songs from previous episodes we also now have a collection of books on goodreads.com which is a book recording website where you can track which books you've seen so you can actually go on goodreads and see the books that previous people have recommended the link to that is in the show notes as well and that brings us to the end of our time here Gem. thank you very much for coming on the podcast oh no thank you it's been it's been a pleasure one of us is going to have to set up another podcast <laughs> so that we have another place to go. I am working on another one that may have launched around this time. I won't say too much about it in case it gets delayed, but there'll, there'll be a platform for you again, I'm sure. Awesome. If people would like to get hold of you, where's the best place for them to go and do that? I am on Twitter constantly at gem underscore hill or let's talk tests or at in a pod. So Twitter's good or let's talk about tests at gmail.com. If you prefer to email me, I am on the testers IO Slack patreon.com slash gemhill has become my blog as well as my patreon those are free stuff on there as well so i'm on the internet a lot do you have anything lined up for later this year in terms of conferences that you're attending or speaking at i am going to be at test bash brighton just attending although i've been roped into doing i say roped i mentioned i would like <laughs> to do a, a session of keep talking and no one explodes at the open space <gasps> Fantastic. Yes. One of my favorite video games. It's if you've not played it before, it, it's uh, it's one person has a complex looking bomb on the screen and the other person has a massive thick paper manual where, which has to try and they have to help decode this bomb. So what you can't see the bomb, they can't see the manual. And it's a, a great communication game. I remember Michael Bolton tweeted about it recently saying that um, it's a great game, but he made the mistake of taking the manual yes. onto the pla- onto a plane trip with him. It's his bomb defusal manual on the front. <laughs> they got some awkward <laughs> questions to answer. Yes. Uh, so I've been meaning to do that for a while, like since being at Test Bash, I've not managed it yet, but I made the not mistake of mentioning it in the Test Bash Slack and everyone was like, yes, we must do it. So I think I'm doing that. I will be at Leeds testing Atelier maybe doing a workshop there maybe i can tease that i don't know if it'll be announced by the time this comes out but there might be something going down and that's it i think i don't really 
do much in the way of traveling to conferences. I find traveling quite hard. So I'm mostly around the north or occasionally Brighton. Fantastic. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure, Gem, and uh, it's a great way to start the year. You're, you're practically podcasting royalty, so it's been a pleasure speaking to you. Oh, gosh, my ego is going to be massive. <laughs> but thank you. I yeah, Always a pleasure talking to you, Neil. Thank you very much. Just one final piece of business. You might remember that in our Christmas episode, we were giving away a free ticket to Tespash Brighton and the Tespash Brighton open space this coming March. And I'm pleased to announce that the winner of that competition was Ali Hill, who I'm looking forward to meeting down in Brighton. For those of you who missed out, there are still early bird tickets available until the end of January or while stocks last. It's going to be a great conference. Jen mentioned she's working on some social activities that are going to be happening down there, as am I. More to be announced soon. And if you'd like to get hold of the show, you can find us on Twitter at Testers Island. If you want to find links to our Spotify playlist, our Goodread playlist, or if you'd like to sign up to be a guest on the show, the best place to go is www.testersislanddiscs.com. And with that, it's time to say goodbye to Jem. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast, Jem. Thank you. And I'll speak to you all again soon. Bye. Testers Island Discs is brought to you in association with the Ministry of Testing. Written and produced by Neil Studd. Theme music by Tony Lovich. Follow us on Twitter at Testers Island. <laughs>